I, I want to real quick make a, um, not a clarification, but uh, in the announcements this morning, I mentioned in your bulletins the inserts or the tickets to fill out for the night of Thanksgiving. A few folks kind of came up to me and said they weren't in our bulletins. Um, what happens if you didn't get one? Sometimes, because it's the third service, folks will leave from the other services and they'll put their bulletins back. So you get hand-me-down bulletins sometimes. And that's what happens. Sometimes those things come out. We don't always know. So if you didn't get one, look in the back or we'll, we'll get one in your hands. So I want to kind of clarify that so you don't think I'm crazy. Well, you might think I'm crazy. Um, the other thing is I forgot to mention tonight at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary is our annual church conference. I want to let you know you're invited to whether you're a member or a regular attender. Uh, this is, if you're a United Methodist, you know we do this every year. It's when some of the annual business of the church and kind of a, a state of the church is, is shared. So you're invited at 4 o'clock if you'd like to come, and, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of that today. So uh, I think that's in the bulletin, but I forgot to mention it. Uh, all right, now this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 9, this uh, letter to the church verses 11 through 28 that we're going to, you know, pray that God gives some illumination to in its reading and as we kind of explore it together a little bit. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy section of Scripture, so I want you to challenge either to follow along or to listen as these words of the Lord are shared, beginning again, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are, that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with humans' hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them, so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance that now he has died as a ransom set setting them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is only in force when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessarily necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear to us in God's, for us in God's presence. 
nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, your holy word, inspired of your spirit, may it speak to us now. And may these words that I speak be inspired by that same Holy Spirit to draw us close to you and close to one another in faith. In Christ we pray. Amen. I, uh, I enjoy, as you know, if you've been here for any length of time, from time to time, I enjoy kind of giving you a little bit of insight into the dynamics of my relationship with Tony, into the dynamics of, of our... Everybody groans when I say that. Everybody, there's this undercurrent. Y'all think I'm going to do something to get myself in trouble, which might happen. But, um, but one of the things that, um, that is, is true of, of our... One of the things that's true of Tony is is um, Tony doesn't like facial hair. Now, let me qualify that a little. She doesn't like facial hair on me. She has no problem with a lot of you guys. If you have mustaches or beards or whatever, she's not judging you. She doesn't like me with facial hair. And there may be a lot of really good reasons for that, but the primary reason for that is she just doesn't like, it scratches her. So she doesn't like to kiss me when I don't shave which is why I'm usually fairly clean-shaven. Um, just being honest. Um, now, I tell you that to tell you this. Tony was away all week this past week. She was away Monday through Friday in Houston. I did not shave while she was gone because she was gone and I didn't have to and because I wanted to mess with her a little bit when she got home. <laughs> so when she came home, and she'll tell you this, when she came home Friday, Friday afternoon, she came in the house, and I kind of ambushed her around the corner and gave her a big welcome home kiss before she had a chance to see what was coming at her. And she kind of pushed back, and she gave me what for because, you know, I hadn't shaved. And, and I determined right then that there is a time when proper pecking order needs to be established in a relationship. <laughs> And so I put my foot down, and I waited 15 minutes before I even shaved it off. So, um, <laughs> yes, hence the reason we have been happily married for almost 19 years. Here's the thing, the, the unintended revelation of the week of, of not shaving. Um, I have, was born a redhead. Cassie's red hair, the, those of you that know my daughter, that comes from my side of the family. I was a redhead at birth and kind of blonded out a little bit as I got older, but still have those highlights. When in over the years that I have either not shaved or tried to grow something out, which doesn't usually end well for me anyway, um, it comes in red. That's, that's kind of a, 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 an auburn color. 
And so um, that's what I expect. And, and I have from time to time tried to, to pull it off over the years. And um, so anyway, Thursday night, before Tony came home, I was in the, the bathroom getting ready for bed. And I noticed the whiskers were a little lighter in shade <laughs> than I had ever remembered seeing them. And, and I called Ryan. I thought it was Cassie. My memory is bad. But I called Ryan in. I said, Ryan, I said, look at my chin. What do you see? And he said, Dad, you've got gray hair. <laughs> and um, it was a, a moment that we have in life that happens to us all. And it's fine. I didn't care. Fortunately, it's not happening here yet, so I'm all right. But, you know, we have these moments, whether lighthearted or seriousness, or, or serious, where we confront the reality of, of, of aging. We confront the reality that all of us are getting older, that all of us are, are face different challenges and different stages in life. And see, the good news with, with gray hair or some of these things is if I really am bothered by it, all I have to do is pay attention to a few commercials or turn on the TV in the middle of the night, and I will be bombarded with products and, and opportunities to to fight off the aging process. We have made a, an industry in this country of products that are designed to help us fight off the realities of time. Hair colors, skin creams, injections, all kinds of stuff. Now, now let me pause for a moment and say nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with it. And if you color your hair or use that's fine. I'm not judging that. It's, it's fine most of the time. Every once in a while, it goes a little bit too far. We see it in Hollywood more so than anywhere else. I, uh, I grew up going on vacation with, with a family. We, we traveled in a big van, had an eight-track tape player, eight-track. You know, those of you who remember eight-tracks. Um, and there was, like, there was music that, that you kind of identify with, with traveling and family vacations that we would listen to all the time. One of the eight-tracks that my father always played when we'd go on vacation was a Kenny Rogers eight-track. I saw Kenny Rogers on TV the other night. <laughs> he tried to fight the aging process. <laughs> Not too well, I think. Um, and, and that happens. And, and the thing is, is we do that. But see, here's, here's the thing. What kind of undergirds that? And even in my own case, as I looked, and, and this happens in so many ways, there is an element of vanity to us that I think we all have. And, and you know, we want to look at it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think undergirding some of that, I think at a deeper level, part of what drives at least many of us to, to fight the wrinkles, to fight the gray, to fight the, the limitations of, of getting older, is this overall fear of our own mortality. This desire that we have to fight off the reality that we start to face as we get older, that, that we know intellectually, but becomes more real, and that is we are mortal, finite creatures. We will all share in this one reality, short of us being the generation for which Christ comes again. If that does not happen, this is what I know we will all have in common. We will all die. We will all die. 
It's not a question of if, though it may be a question of how that may be different and what will be different and, and how that happens. And, and certainly there's apprehension about that reality. And so we do all kinds of things to fight that off. Ne- not necessarily bad things. I mean, we, some, some people exercise faithfully, eat right, do all of these other things. And, and that may buy you time and that may be your quality of life. And that matters. But it is not going to buy you immortality. We're going to die. Even though we continue to try. I was reading an article uh, the other day that Google Corporation has a branch now called Calypso, I think is what it was called, that is studying um, human mortality and how to overcome human mortality. You think that's crazy, but we've been after that for hundreds of years, haven't we? Isn't that what Ponce de Leon, de Leon was at? De Leon? De Leon was after? The fountain of youth? We, we search for that, and we, we fight against that. But again, it's, it's not a question of this, if, it's a question of how, which reminds me of that plaque you may maybe all have seen that says, um, when I die, I want to go peacefully in my sleep, not screaming. Or I want to go peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming like the passengers in his car. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. We, we would like to maybe pick and choose how it happens. Give it a moment. It'll come back to you. Um, but, but I think there is value in us, not embracing death, but embracing that reality, that truth, in, in coming to terms with that. And I know that sounds kind of silly because there's nobody here that's going to say, well, that's not going to happen. But we, we tend to, to sometimes live in denial of that. You know, when we're young, we do because we're untouchable when we're young. And young people should feel that way. We all did, I think. Unless maybe you were one of those who served and had to face realities that a lot of us didn't have to face at a young age. But, but we feel that way. But, but there's a value in starting to, to confront that because it not only changes the way we see the future, it impacts the way we live. It reminds me of a conversation of the three friends were having, and they were talking about this very thing, and they were talking about their death. And they said, you know, when you die and, and they lay you in the casket and the mourners pass by, what do you want to hear? What do you hope they'll say about you? And the one guy said, well, you know what I want to hear? I want to hear that he was a great doctor and a good husband. And, and the second friend said, that's good. I, I want to hear that I was a, a dedicated father to my family and to my children, and that as a teacher I impacted and changed the lives of young people and made a brighter tomorrow. And the third guy said, you know, those are really, really good. But what I really want to hear when people pass by my casket is, look, he's moving. We want to keep it at arm's length. We want to keep it at arm's length. Well, in a few weeks, we celebrate Christmas. In a few weeks, we celebrate the incarnation of God. When God came in human flesh in the person of Jesus and in the course of his life, lived a life in which he identified with us and we can identify with him. 
One of the powerful truths about our faith in Christ is we do not worship a God who is distant, but we worship a God who in the person of Jesus experienced our challenges, experienced the difficulties of life, the challenges of life, the, the highs and lows of life, the joys and the sorrows, who grieved and who cried and who celebrated and who laughed and who in all ways identified and experienced life as we experience life. So we worship a God who in our prayers we cannot say you don't understand because Jesus does understand. In a lot of ways we think about how Jesus was like us, but I wonder how often we think about the fact that it, in embracing the frailty of life, in embracing the limitations of life, in God embracing the humanity of life, that Jesus lived it all. Not just the struggles, not just the trials, not just the temptation, but like us, Jesus died. Like us, Jesus experienced death. In all ways, he walked the gamut of human experience, as we do. But the promise and the hope and the gift is this, that because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, death gets redefined. Our understanding of death gets redefined recreated, if you will. And the promise of our faith is not that we can escape that experience. You know, uh, what we would love to do is to be able to escape the experience of death. But, but that's not life. In fact, the scripture that I read in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed or dedicated, or a time for humans, for men and women to die and then face judgment. That is the reality. And we will be touched by it. There's a, there's a story um, in the, the Hasidic Jewish tradition of a woman whose son died. And in her grief, she went to the, the wise men of the village who was known to perform miracles and begged and said, I will give you everything I have, everything if you can bring him back to life. And the wise men looked at her and said, okay, this is what you must do. You must go and find the home in which there has been no experience of death, where death has not been experienced, not in the lives of a loved one, not in the lives of the servants. You must find that home and bring me from the fireplace one of the pieces of coal. A year later, the woman returned to the wise men with no coal. But having learned that there was not a single family to be found, that had not in some level experienced the reality of death. It is appointed once for men, for women to die and then face judgment. The promise of Christ's life and death and resurrection is not that we don't experience it, but that what we understand it to be gets completely redefined. We want to fight against it as if it's a fight we can win, but we cannot win. But here's what the promise of Hebrews and the promise of the gospel say to us. We don't have to fight it. We don't have to win because the battle has already been fought and the victory has already been won and it has been won through Jesus Christ. And we are invited in faith to participate not just in the death of Jesus, 
but in the life of Jesus. We are invited to participate in the resurrection and the hope that we don't earn, but that is given to us through what Christ has done. The blood that was shed that purifies us, that fills us and covers us in God's grace and makes us righteous. So that death, while it will be experienced, it is not to be feared because of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the promise of our faith. That is the hope that we are given, that in Christ, death doesn't become the end, but really becomes the beginning. And here's why that matters. I said last week that sometimes as Christians... We become so heavenly-minded, so focused on eternity, so focused on the sweet by and by that we do no earthly good. Well, see, that's a misunderstanding of, of God's life given through Christ. Because our understanding of eternity, our promise of what is to come, the promise of life eternal frees us to live here and now. If you think about the message of Jesus, you think about the teachings of Jesus, you think about the way of Jesus, it is completely countercultural. It is backwards, it is upside down, it is counter to everything we think life should be about. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon of the Mount, who's he say of the blessed, the weak, the persecuted, those who mourn, those who suffer. And we think those aren't the blessed people. Why would we want any of those things? Because the way of Jesus is different. What does Jesus define greatness as? He says greatness is defined by your willingness not to be served, but to serve. Now what allows us to live lives that look like Jesus? What allows us to live lives that are sacrificial, that give up the best for another, that give our lives for another in the way of Jesus? It is the promise that God gives that there are greater things yet to come, that we do not pass from life to death, but in Christ, one day we pass from life to life. And this isn't as good as it gets. It can be really good, but there's better things to come. There's a story I've heard before. I didn't know where it was attributed, but I, I encountered it again this week, and it was attributed to Norman Vincent Peale. And um, in his telling of the story, he talks about a mother who is pregnant with her child at the eighth month of development, few weeks away from birth. Many of you ladies remember what that stage was like. And he talks about the mother having a conversation with the yet-to-be-born baby and saying to her baby, we cannot wait to welcome you into this world. Your father and your brothers and sisters are so anxious to receive you, to love you, to embrace you, to, to welcome you in and to bring you home. And the baby, if it could respond to its mother, saying, but I don't want to leave. I'm comfortable where I am. All my needs are provided for. I'm warm. I'm cozy. I'm secure. I don't want to leave this place. The mother looking at her child and saying, but there's so much yet to experience. There's laughter and joy and family and, and the sky and the flowers and just so much beauty that awaits you. And not only that, it's not safe for you to stay where you are for too long. Now imagine that same conversation with that same baby 70, 80, 90 years later 
but not, now this time, not with a mother, but with our Heavenly Father. As God looks at that child, as he looks at us and says, oh, I have so much in store for you. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his suffering and death, the grace that has filled you, the forgiveness that you have received, I have so much that is yet to come that I've tried to tell you about, and my word has painted a picture and given you metaphors, but it can't begin to describe the beauty and the blessing that is going to yet be received. And us looking at our Heavenly Father and saying, but I don't want to go. I'm comfortable here. I have what I need. I'm secure and I'm safe. In Jesus, God says to us, there is the blessing of life in abundance. But I have made a way so that death is no longer the end of the story. But in faith, death becomes the moment you pass, not from life to death, but from life to life. And there is blessings that await that are beyond our imagination. That is the promise of what Christ won for us on the cross. That is the gift we are given when we are washed clean by the blood. And I know that is an image that doesn't resonate with our culture because it's not a practice that is familiar, the sacrificial practices of, of, of the people. But that's what's communicated. We are washed clean. We are made righteous. And we are welcomed home when the days of this journey are over. I don't think we necessarily need to seek out or embrace death in a, in a joyful way. I want to be on this earth as long as God will let me be. You know, there's that Kenny Chesney song, if you follow country music, that says everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. Okay? That's okay. I, I don't think as Christians we necessarily, we, we're not looking to be martyrs. We're not looking. God has put us here for the time that we have, and we need to embrace it and live it to the fullness, fullest. But we also don't need to be afraid. I know easier said than done, but we do not need to be afraid of the gray hairs and the wrinkles and the challenges because one day we will die. That is a battle we cannot win, but it's a battle we don't have to fight because in Christ, the victory's been won. Life has been promised. Embrace that promise with courage, with faith, and with hope. Wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are, the battle has been won. So brothers and sisters, do not be afraid. The words I use at the beginning of every service of celebration, every funeral, every memorial, are the words of the ritual, but they're the words of Jesus that he spoke to two grieving sisters outside the tomb of their brother Lazarus. And this is what he said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who live and believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And those who live and believe in me shall never die. Later, the scriptures will record that Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and death. And here are the words of hope, the words of promise. Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. Jesus has made the fight. He's won the battle. Embrace life, life that is now and life that is to come. That is the gift 
of God in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the gift and the promise, for the battle that's been won, the blood that's been shed, and the forgiveness we've been given in Jesus Christ. It is your gift that we would receive it with gratitude and journey in faith and courage and hope until the day comes when we are forever in your kingdom and we receive your blessings in full. We pray in Christ Jesus.